Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Conversation in Veterinary Pathology, the ACVP podcast, brought to you by the American College of Veterinary Pathologists. The purpose of this podcast is to bring the veterinary pathology community together to bolster our connections and spread knowledge. This segment aims to highlight those in our field at all stages of their careers from all backgrounds and subspecialties. We will be talking to everyone from veterinary students to the pillars of the profession, hearing more about unique stories and how pathologists are not always just at the scope. Veterinary pathologists are out there changing the world. I'm Hannah Atkins, and this is Carolyn Labriola. Welcome. This episode's guest is Dr. Christiane Lur a professor in anatomic veterinary pathology at Oregon State University. During the interview, she walks us through her journey in the veterinary pathology field and shows her noteworthy contribution in training. We hope you enjoy. Hello. Today, I have the pleasure of being here with Dr. Christiane Lohr from Oregon State. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. First off, I would like to thank you. You have given quite a bit of your career towards teaching students, both veterinary pathology and veterinarians in general. That's very impressive and really quite a statement to who you are. Thank you. Yeah, I've been doing this for, I would say, close to 30 years. You did your training, including veterinary school, residency, and PhD in Germany. Will you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, one of my early mentors was Professor Eugen Weiss, and he lectured uh, in throughout the entire pathology s- series, actually, in, uh, at the University in Gießen. I, I, mean, I say he was because he passed away earlier this year, actually. And uh, I was just fascinated by the depth of his knowledge, um, his interest in the subject. He was old-fashioned in his delivery, but... Uh, just absolutely impressive. He would come down with a small piece of paper that he would put in front of the desk and then he would just turn around and take chalk and pretty much lecture for 60 minutes just uh, writing stuff out on the blackboard and then towards the end you know lower the blinds and then he would bring out the pictures and What I liked about his teaching style back then, I thought was already kind of forward thinking that the next time we would meet him, he would review the images first as a kind of a review of the last session and then launch into the material of the new um, section. And uh, that's actually something I I still do myself. (laughs) Repetition, it really works. Absolutely. Wow, and so before you even had your hands in the necropsy floor, you were already inspired by your professor. Mm-hmm. I ended up doing my PhD uh, with him as a, a principal investigator. And when I came through veterinary school and the residency in Germany, there were actually quite a few veterinarians who graduated. And uh, there was perhaps an overabundance, uh, both in the uh, field of practice as well as in pathology. So when I decided to become a pathologist and join the residency program, there wasn't really a position there for me. So the first year of my residency, I worked outside of pathology to earn the money to for my living so I could actually 
join the residency at that point and at least partake in, in all the training opportunities. And then I ended up uh, doing my doctoral work with uh, Eugen Weiss on uh, canine mammary tumors. And he looked at retirement as I was getting towards the end of my residency and PhD. And that, of course, because he was department chair, meant that there was going to be a, a complete reorganization, restructuring, and probably complete personnel change over in the department. And so there wasn't really space for me to stay um, in Gießen at that time. And because he was looking at retirement, there was really not an option to go abroad, do a postdoc, and come back, because then there would be a new department chair, and who knows what they would be working on and whether they'd be interested in, in uh, me returning there. And so there was a lot of uncertainty at that time. And complicating that uh, was the fact that Germany, this was after the, the reunification, and uh, was in a pretty deep recession. And so the job market, even at the time of uh, the end of my residency, was really, really poor. And I tried pretty much every sector, whether that was government, um, industry, or academia, and there uh, wasn't really anything to be had. And uh, so I looked further, further afield. And uh, in looking, life is so full of uh, coincidences, I guess, or serendipity. At that time, a professor from Washington State University was on sabbatical in Switzerland. And um, I think the department had decided they were wanting to have a resident from Europe uh, who he would be recruiting while he was on sabbatical. And so I saw an advertisement uh, for that residency position. And I applied, and uh, I initially spoke with the department chair of the university in Bern, Maya Suta, and frankly, when I called her and uh, we had our first discussion, she said, uh, told me, you gotta be crazy. You gotta go there and do exactly what you just did again, because I was applying for a combined program uh, position at Washington State University. And I thought, yeah, that might be true, but you know, it's a completely different country, different education system. So yeah, while it looks perhaps on the surface that it is the same, it's not gonna be the same. Obviously the experience is gonna be very different. And I did get the position, otherwise I wouldn't be here talking to you <laughs> today probably. And part of what played into that or probably favored uh, my favored the outcome or put the outcome in, in, uh, in my favor is that I had gone for an externship to Washington State University during my final year in veterinary school. And so I was familiar with the location, I was familiar with uh, the uh, university. And I think that helped perhaps make them decision, the decision because I don't know if you've been in Pullman, but uh, it's uh, quite rural. It's beautiful out there on the Palouse, but it's 
pretty far away from pretty much everything. And so recruiting someone from Europe where everything is close uh, to a, a community like that, you know, comes with its, its challenges and potential problems. And so I think they were quite relieved that there was somebody um, who was interested in the position, Hatman and Pullman is pretty much a fully trained pathologist. And so it turned out to be a real win-win. That's perfect. And I would imagine that coming from a teacher, a professor like Dr. Weiss, that inspired you to stay in schooling. I would imagine that when you come from someone who inspires you to be in that environment, then continuing on and learning more becomes an enjoyable activity. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I'm not sure I was there before I started my residency, but definitely sometime in the middle of my residency, I was certain that I wanted to be in an academic environment and teach. When you talk to Many veterinary students nowadays, I hear that the first choice of profession they've had was to be a veterinarian. For me, it was a little different. I started out wanting to be a math teacher. So I think maybe I always had a proclivity for teaching. <laughs> you got to count mitotic figures. That goes along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then at some point, I actually thought about going into music and uh, decided against that and uh, ended up in thinking about biology and medicine. And uh, so that's how I ended up in veterinary medicine and uh, ultimately in pathology. Was it Dr. Weiss who introduced you to pathology? I think he taught in that very first segment. So it was uh, in, in back then um, actually four semesters of pathology, two semesters general pathology and two semesters um, systemic pathology or special pathology. And it included a histopathology course where we would sit there for two hours every week and look at histoslides. What I really liked about the program is that we were introduced to necropsies really early on um, because the program had um, a course where beginning in, in the fifth semester, so that's your third year, and it's a five and a half year program, uh, small groups of students, about 10 students, would be brought to necropsy and uh, do a dissection on actual necropsy with one of the residents or professors, and then write a full report, necropsy report, gross report, and um, actually a quite lengthy, uh, they called it epicrisis, so um, the explanation of uh, pathogenesis of pretty much every lesion we saw which was way over my head in the fifth semester, of course. But we got introduced to the mechanics, to the beauty, I, I want to say, of uh, the gross examination and then the whole intellectual um, concept of thinking about disease and disease processes way beyond just sitting in the lecture and, and uh, listening to someone um, expounding on that, but actually being hands-on and involved um, early on. So I really appreciate that. And then we would do that, yeah, every every uh, uh, semester we would be able to go and have another um, experience like that. And then um, different to here, we didn't really have a formal uh, rotation in anatomic pathology, but uh, one could sign up um, kind of as an elective, I guess. Uh, for up to six weeks, and that was also really nice to be actually on the floor for that extended period of time. What year would that 
option be available? Yeah, so um, maybe to uh, explain a little bit about the German program, since we're coming right out of high school into veterinary school, uh, the first year is, I guess, to bring up people up to speed. We're, you know, there's uh, chemistry, uh, physics, um, biology, and four uh, medical students, so that's medic medical, human, veterinary, and dental. And uh, then we go into botany, zoology, and then into um, the veterinary uh, subjects. And so after five and a half years of, or five years of uh, lectures and uh, labs, the last half year is just exams. So there's an exam every two to four weeks, depending on the subject matter, how much material. And it takes six months to get through all of the subjects. And um, so by the time that is done, um, there's no final examination per se, but yeah, you walk out of your last oral exam and then there you are, you're a veterinarian. It's <laughs> 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 kind of strange. Anyway, so the, the externship, um, they could be done in, in the summer. And some summers we had exams that were really long, uh, so they would take up most of the summer, but some years not. And there was an option to actually push out the final set of exams by half a year. So make it a six-year program instead of a five-and-a-half-year program, and then use that half year for additional externships. And that's when I um, did pathology, and that's also when I went to Washington State University for the externship there. But that was a rotating externship at Washington State University. Right. And how great that they offered that for you to get that experience. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that's uh, uh, thanks to um, a veterinarian who was actually of German origin, too. I unfortunately don't remember exactly um, where Dr. Stauber came from. Um, but he was an exotics uh, medicine a veterinarian at Washington State University and he instituted and ran that program and I thought it was just a fantastic opportunity for everybody actually involved, most definitely for us being able to, to come to Washington State University, but then also for the veterinary students over there to be able to be exposed to folks coming from a different program with a different organization structure and perhaps learning motors. And different diseases. Mm -hmm. Absolutely too, yes. <laughs> It sounds like you did overall have quite a bit of exposure to pathology relatively early within your veterinary career. Many pathologists say that they didn't know about the field until their final veterinary year rotation. Do you notice that either at your university or in the community in general? Actually, I don't. I'm actually surprised how many students already know about subspecialties and have loosely selected a subspecialty by the time they come to veterinary school. We have a mentorship program where incoming students are um, hooked up with a faculty member and they are matched by interests and every year I sign up for two mentees and every year there's at least two students who have pathology somewhere on their list of areas of interest. So I'm actually really, really amazed how much incoming students know already about the profession and the areas they can specialize in. What also helps is that universities, at least Oregon State University, has a very active pathology club, and I credit the ACVP 
um, in part with uh, that because of the fantastic support that comes down from the ACVP to these student groups and uh, the opportunities students have now to get involved with pathology and the, the organization um, in the country really early on. And it's a fairly lively group that we have. They're quite active. Um, the residents are doing a fantastic job of um, taking on the bulk of the interaction and teaching in sessions with uh, the students in the uh, pathology club. And I would say we have maybe two, three students in every class who uh, are interested and uh, participating. Um, there's a lot of overlap with the students in um, aquatic medicine and lab animal medicine. They uh, actually do a lot of stuff together, so, which is really nice. So that's, that's an opportunity that I didn't have as a student and I think is, is really helping our veterinary students to get an exposure to a part of pathology that isn't really that visible perhaps um, in class because a lot of those activities are spent around the microscope working on cases, um, discussing cytology and uh, histopathology. And then outside of the course series, so general pathology first year, systemic pathology in the second year, we have two quarters of that. Um, I offer an, a histopathology elective in the third year where um, students can sign up for one week. It's a half a day, so 20 hours. And we work through cases that are pulled from the um, archives or the caseload here at the Oregon Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory. And they get the full experience, everything from the original paperwork, as dismal as the histories sometimes are, with uh, a cytology that's matched to the case, um, the histopathology, and then we'll also talk about diagnostics and uh, uh, treatment options and other aspects. And it's at the end of third year, and generally I hear um, really positive feedback about the fact that it's late in the third year, right before they move into their fourth year rotation, because it gets them thinking about the cases, sort of the complexity, communication across disciplines. I also often see and then also hear from students how the light bulbs are going on, where they make connections between disciplines that they didn't really think about as neighboring or um, actually interacting that much. Uh, we also discussed the practicalities of collecting biopsies and submitting them, you know, packing, packaging them up. And we take a tour of the lab so they get to follow uh, a sample as it arrives and receiving all the way through histo and then back to the multi-headed microscope here. And then in fourth year, of course, we have a, a, a mandatory, at this point at least, still mandatory rotation on diagnostic services, and that's a two-week rotation. And so our students, I think, get a fairly good exposure or can get a good exposure to pathology um, all throughout the curriculum and uh, early on. But as I said uh, at the beginning, I'm really amazed at how much uh, students already know about subspecialties and uh, how many of them are actually choosing fields that are not the mainstream practice track anymore that I used to see when I started out 20 years ago. It sounds like your outreach, both yourself your and your colleagues and the support of the university, 
leads to the students knowing about pathology and being interested. And that's laudable. It's very impressive. And thank you for doing that for our community. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure, I have to say. I mean, I, I tell the students in the junior uh, year rotation or elective that it really is my favorite class I teach out of everything I do. <laughs> Specifically within your residency or what you teach to the veterinary students, are there any unique aspects of your program that you would like to highlight? Yeah, I think so. Um, we're really fortunate in the sense that we have the state veterinary diagnostic lab within the academic setting. And I have the luxury of being both an academic pathologist charged with instruction and research, as well as a diagnostic pathologist working in the state veterinary diagnostic laboratory. And so our caseload is unique, I think, because of that. We get, of course, all the VTH, the veterinary teaching hospital submissions, but most of our cases are actually coming from the outside, from the community. And we might also be somewhat unique in the sense that we are not requiring submitters to go through a veterinary practice. So we get direct submits, which can make for very interesting conversations <laughs> after the case has been worked up or maybe throughout. Um, but it really enriches the caseload we see. Um, we have a wide range of species that comes through, everything from dog, cat, uh, horse, not that many pigs, some cows, lots of goats, quite a few sheep. Um, we still get a fair number of llamas and alpacas. We have the marine mammal stranding network, so we receive animals from out from the ocean, uh, sea lions mostly, but seals, porpoises, um, quite the range. Sometimes they come as bodies when they are when they are found either fresh or dispatched on the beach. A lot of them come as bottle necropsies. And we have um, an aquarium and uh, a marine uh, science center close by, and so we get aquatic animals, uh, in, including invertebrates, from there. We have a few wildlife uh, connections, one with uh, the Oregon um, Department of Fish and Wildlife, and then also uh, two private institutions that have uh, um, exotics, um, including large cats and uh, elephants and big species. They don't come here necessarily. Sometimes we actually go out for field necropsies. But it, it's, a, it's a really diverse um, caseload. What we are a little light on um, are lab animals. We get research animals, but they generally don't filter through the diagnostic floor, right? They come as, as uh, samples or... Um, are done as uh, necropsies in research labs. Um, oh, I forgot the chickens. Yeah, I forgot the backyard chickens. We got a ton of those, not just because of avian influenza, <laughs> because it seems like uh, every second household in Oregon, or at least in Corvallis, has at least two or three chickens. <laughs> and maybe a sheep and a goat and a llama. But I think this, this uh, very diverse caseload uh, really enriches what we can um, provide students, but especially our residents with respect to hands-on experience. Having access to that on top of providing such a great program for your students allows you to give back to the community in a way that 
other places might not be able to because they're not seeing those. I didn't know about that direct submission. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. I think it's it's uh, an excellent way of uh, attracting and particularly uh, smaller species like chickens that um, most veterinarians, practicing veterinarians, probably wouldn't necessarily want to deal with anyway, but are quite common in in the public, in the community, and uh, folks definitely have questions. Um, I think it helps with that. It really helps with training veterinarians and especially our residents in communication skills because we spend quite a bit of time talking to the lay population about fairly complicated and complex matters. It's, it's a particular skill that can definitely be learned but needs to be honed in finding the right words and finding the right ways to explain these, these uh, complex situations to someone without medical training. And so I really, really appreciate it. It's time consuming at times, but uh, it's most often it's very rewarding because people are just so grateful for the work we do here. How do you think that that experience influences how your residents write their comments? Because they have to be able to do it, not only for the layperson, but then for professionals in the veterinary field. And then also, you said, with lab animal, being able to write potentially for a researcher. That's quite the span. That is quite the span. It, of course, doesn't happen all in the same report. Um, I kind of look at it as the top part being the technical part where, you know, when we give our gross descriptions, morphologic diagnoses, all of that is the technical jargon. And I don't really expect um, a private submitter to sift through that. But the comment is really where a resident or a pathologist can shine in, in uh, showing their ability to explain these complex matters in a way that um, a patient owner can actually absorb and digest. Not unlike, I think, you know, veterinarians are in practice who obviously are at, uh, at that front line and interacting with uh, um, patient owners or clients it can lead to perhaps more follow-up phone conversations, uh, which I think is natural, um, but that is just part of the outreach we do. And I feel that perhaps we have a better presence and maybe more recognition from the public in general because we are interacting with them face-to-face, -face, or at least some of the public face-to-face, -face, rather than always indirectly, which can be a challenge when we're working in disciplines like pathology or radiology where a lot of the the emotions negative but also positive of course uh, are lost because they are directed at uh, a different different piece of the, the profession right it's the the veterinarian the clinician who is who is interacting, yes, they have to deal with the grief, but they, of course, also get the thank yous. It's really difficult to get a thank you over here <laughs> at the back end when uh, we're, you know, one or two lines removed from the direct interaction with clients. And that's nice when we have these direct interactions, direct submits, because that's when, when we actually get to work with people face-to-face -face and uh, hear about their their problems implied directly and then get the occasional thank you back. 
directly, which is really nice. And increases the knowledge of veterinary pathology to the community. So your influence spans even beyond the vet school. Yeah, I, I would say so, yeah. Definitely right now that we're having the avian influenza outbreak and uh, we um, get quite a few submissions. Uh, they are all accessioned in a way through the Oregon Department of Agriculture, of course, because it's, it's uh, um, regulatory testing, but they are still private chicken owners mostly who come in and uh, bring their birds in. What else can you tell me about the program here at Oregon State? It's young. Fairly young, I guess, if you consider 17 years young, <laughs> and I do. Um, so it wasn't actually here when I started out, uh, and it was really nice to be able to be there and build a program over the years. Uh, we started out with one resident, period, and uh, then we had a, a second resident, period, and then we ended up uh, um, finding the money or the getting the money from the department to have at least one resident every year and a clinical pathology resident. And that's the size of the program right now. And that's the other piece I wanted to feature or highlight. And that is the program is small enough that the residents get a lot of face-to-face -face interaction with the pathologists, whether that's clinical or anatomic. The clinical pathology resident sits in the same room with the anatomic pathology resident, so there's a lot of cross-fertilization going on there. It's helped by the fact that the clinical pathology laboratory is actually part of the diagnostic laboratory and not the VTH. And it's large enough that there is enough momentum in a cohort of residents who can help each other um, as it goes, you know, whether it's from starting out um, on the floor in the residence in general, preparing, you know, study material, preparing for boards, um, hearing each other out, probably crying on each other's shoulders <laughs> like we've probably all done <laughs> during our residencies, uh, but also celebrating, of course, our wins, to wins together as well. It also allows us to tailor the program perhaps a little bit more to the interest and the needs of the specific resident. We can offer a combined program, but we're not forcing that on anyone. So we are taking um, residents who are really just in quotation marks interested in diagnostic pathology and don't really foresee um, a career in research and so don't really see the need. Or more importantly, perhaps, we can take uh, folks who already have a PhD. And for them, I, I think it's, it's actually quite challenging for someone who has the veterinary degree, has an, an, a graduate degree, and then decides to go into pathology. It can be extremely challenging to find a place where uh, these folks can train. And so I'm really pleased that we have enough flexibility here that we can offer pretty much both tracks side by side. And uh, we've had um, some residents who have had PhDs when they started. We've had residents who came right out of vet school. We've had residents who came out of practice. And it really makes for uh, a very rich uh, environment, uh, both learning and also teaching experience. I mean, I've, I really have benefited uh, a lot from that. Um, interacting with uh, young pathologists uh, from very, very different backgrounds. 
we are able to take uh, foreign nationals. And I think that is also helping the program tremendously. Yes, I'm biased because obviously I'm a foreign national, although I'm naturalized now. Um, but I think it, it does help to, to interact with folks who have different cultural backgrounds, came through a different system, school systems, uh, veterinary school system. And uh, um, I think it really helps uh, everybody when uh, we can um, incorporate uh, residents from very different backgrounds, may that be educational or cultural or otherwise. That's a wonderful philosophy. Everyone has something to teach everyone else. <laughs> and that's what makes for a great lifelong learner, which is essential in our profession. Oh, very much so, yeah. It's, uh, if nothing else, our profession is rather humbling. Yes, <laughs> that it really doesn't go a, a day goes by when I'm not either looking something up, learning something new, or you know, actually seeing a lesion that, frankly, I've never seen before, and I've seen thousands of cases in my life now. <laughs> something else that you have done for Thology community and the lives of pets that should get more thanks is your work with neoplasia. You said that you started off with your PhD with mammary tumors. First off, thank you for all your contributions. And having that caseload also helps you get the data that you might not otherwise you might be referring to uh, goat tumors, and yes, I would say that's yeah. correct. <laughs> if we didn't have uh, that diverse caseload and the volume we actually have, uh, which can be overwhelming, um, it would be difficult to go back and do these. I find them very rewarding, and I hope there are uh, instructional uh, studies that are able to pull together a larger caseload and uh, see patterns that might be otherwise lost. So yeah, I, I do attribute that to where we are geographically and then also the clientele we have and the fact that we do see, yeah, a lot of those uh, smaller ruminants are also direct submissions, you're right, because it's really difficult to come by practitioners who are interested in small ruminants. You've shared quite a bit about your diagnostic side of your job. Will you tell me a bit more about the academic side? Yes, um, I feel really fortunate um, in the sense that at Oregon State University we don't have a medical school, and uh, so we are the medical school, which is really nice. Uh, and so a lot of the research that might bypass uh, veterinary pathologists elsewhere is actually coming to veterinary pathology and the department here. And when I started out, uh, I was really fortunate that the uh, OSU had an environmental health sciences center, which we now have again. Um, it had been in place for probably 30 years or so when I started out. And it was a, a fantastic program uh, because it brought together scientists from very diverse uh, disciplines into a fairly cohesive group and to work on common projects, uh, interests. And so I got to work with people from biophysics and biochemistry, um, environmental toxicology, pharmacology, I mean, pretty much all over campus. And it made for a really, in my opinion, rich uh, research experience. I'm not a PI driving a research lab myself. And I think I'm probably too impatient for that anyway. <laughs> 
Uh, but this way, I really got to look under the hood of many different labs and uh, get to look into many different aspects of a, a bigger question, and that um, is environmental health. And I really appreciate that Oregon State University is, in a way, fairly small, so it, something like this is possible and uh, actually can take root and really bring people together. So on the research side, um, I think I've been extremely fortunate uh, for that opportunity. So on, on uh, the teaching side, um, maybe let me expand a little bit on, on the education piece of it, uh, because I got interested in education as a science um, itself and uh, ways to improve instruction. Following on that, outside of experimenting around in the classroom and in the courses I'm teaching anyway, I uh, just finished a data collection on a, a small research project uh, looking at or comparing the um, delivery of the histopathology elective um, as a strictly on-site um, class versus hybrid. And uh, because of the pandemic, uh, it ended up with a third arm and that was remote only. I can't really talk about uh, results yet because I haven't really uh, analyzed the, the data yet. The last cohort just finished their um, elective two weeks ago. But I can, can already tell that there is a piece that we can carry forward from the pandemic into instruction in general, and not just in a smaller class like this elective. And that is to afford veterinary students with options and opportunities to participate in education with uh, remote instruction so we can actually help veterinary students in particular who might have extenuating circumstances that really make it extremely challenging for them to attend in person in class, especially since so much of their time during the day is spent in class. I, I see it tapering quickly in some areas, um, but I hope that projects like this uh, little research project here on the histopathology elective will help highlight the many, many advantages that come from either hybrid um, delivery or the occasional, maybe remote-only delivery. My hope would be that eventually I can open up this histopathology elective to veterinary students in different, on different campuses or maybe even different uh, countries or continents. That would be fantastic. Might be a little ambitious, but everything's in place now. Uh, we've, we've, uh, I've got uh, all the pieces there. It's just a matter of uh, opening it up and advertising it. But I sure hope that we carry that forward for those of you who don't know, um, I happen to be the program chair for the ACVP conference uh, in 2020 when we had to pivot from an in-person meeting to a complete uh, remote uh, enterprise within a few months. And I had, I mean, there was, there, it was such a concerted effort. There were so many people involved and it took so much. And I'm, I'm, amazed that we actually were able to make it happen. Um, 
And I really want to actually at this point perhaps thank everybody who contributed in whatever way um, to making it happen, whether those were the speakers who are willing to, to now sit at home and uh, deliver their lecture in front of a screen rather than in front of 500 people, which is quite different. Um, to uh, Jane Shepard, who is not with the ACVP anymore, but who was absolutely instrumental in, in uh, pulling this off and uh, getting all the pieces into place and many, many, many other uh, folks who, who helped. Uh, it was a Herculean effort. We were able to pull it off, so it can be done. And uh, so I really think it would be nice to be able to carry at least a portion of that forward. And it doesn't have to be all of it, but you know, maybe the mystery slide seminars could be broadcast to residents who can't attend uh, you know, at their homes or maybe the institutions or whatever. Those are always a lot of fun. Yep. And then you really have to be there, right? At least synchronous, whether it's physical or not, uh, in order to be able to really get the most benefit because you hear the questions, you can answer, uh, ask a question yourself. It's just the immediacy that, that uh, drives that. And uh, the whole excitement, um, I think, is, is really mostly in the moment. But as you said, we are still learning new techniques and new ways to make hybrid and remote work well <laughs> yeah, for everyone. Absolutely. There's certainly challenges. Uh, let me put in a little plug here to the ACVP since this is the ACVP podcast, <laughs> As since we're on the subject. Um, I really wished there was a way to carry forward a bigger piece of the remote attendance at the conference to those of us who might just not be able to get away for four days or maybe less and be physically present at the conference location. Um, and there's something to be said about recording and listening to um, lectures and seminars uh, after the fact, but it really is no replacement for having at least the synchronous participation and the opportunity to ask a question and be part of the conversation, uh, even when one is not in the room. And that's the same piece that I would like to carry forward and I am carrying forward in my instruction here. And I think it would be really helpful and nice if that could happen at uh, a bigger level within the organization also. I think that's definitely a good goal, especially given that everyone has a setup to participate now in their own homes. And as you said, beyond that, there are individuals who would find it difficult for any reason, whether that be something personal or professional, why they couldn't go. And going forward, there's so much that we have learned from the pandemic, and hopefully we can take those positive aspects, like you said, and having someone like you spearheading learning for students and for the community in that way will be a boon. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. Yeah. There has been such a theme throughout your time talking to me that I, I started this off by thanking you for all of the effort that you put into teaching. And now after speaking to you, I have such a deeper understanding. I love that you help tailor your program 
to the individual learning styles of your residents and that you are able to give them such an experience and you're looking forward to the future, how to teach next year's residents and 10 years from now. I think that that is attributable to your mentor, Dr. Weiss, the people that brought you on to continue teaching you at Washington and just you and your personality. It's just wonderful. Thank you so much. You make me choke up. (laughs) (laughs) On the theme of thanking people, I have a fun question. What's the best pathology-related present that you've ever received? I actually did bring a prompt because I thought I might need your help in describing to our listeners what this actually is. And uh, let me uh, paraphrase it in the sense that this isn't really pathology, what I received, but it's a really meaningful present um, to me. Let me show you what it is, and then I'm going to try to describe it. Uh, with your help, and then I will give you an explanation um, on how it came about. I just want all listeners to know that Dr. Lohr has a yogurt jar that I thought was food up until right now. (laughs) And so here I have a piece of art. Um, It's a wood carving, and it's a typical Pacific Northwestish, I would say. Um, It's about a fist-sized piece of burl that is cup-shaped, And in the hollow, uh, out of the hollow, uh, we have four mushrooms uh, coming up um, and uh, also carved out of wood. And you might ask yourself, well, why is this pathology related? Well, what could think maybe Dr. Lur likes to talk about toxic mushrooms, but not so much. Um, But it stems from me probably emphasizing, perhaps sometimes overemphasizing, the value of communication, um, especially as it comes to communication between submitters and us. And one analogy I use when I present a, an actual history in the context of a case, whether that's to veterinary students or the residents, that has, uh, let's say, a marginal history Uh, how much is missing and how much more could be done with the case if we had more information. And we used to have a a veterinarian in the area here who felt that it was better not to bias his pathologists and actually actively withheld information uh, from the submission sheet, uh, you know, thinking along uh, that vein. And to be it results in this garbage in, garbage out situation, right? And so what I tell my students is is that pathologists are not mushrooms. We do not like to be kept in the dark and we do not like to be fed dung. And uh, one of uh, my recent uh, veterinary students who is actually starting as an anatomic pathologist uh, a residency uh, this fall, um, she saw this little piece of art and immediately thought about me, and uh, so she gave it to me last Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) That is a lovely story, and such a great thing to have as a reminder. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you would have stayed here. (laughs) (laughs) You have inspired her, I am sure. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, now she's going to Purdue, and I hope they will love her as much as we do love her. I'm sure that they will. I am so grateful that you took the time to sit down 
and share with me today. Yeah, and I really want to thank you for, for inviting me, for having me. And uh, I'm glad we were able to do this actually in person since you are in Oregon as well. Thank you, thank you very much. And thank you for the ACVP for um, sponsoring this, this uh, project. I really think it's a fantastic idea to allow f people to hear the actual voices behind the scene and learn more about the programs. The more that we learn about each other, the more collaborations, whether that be scientific, knowledge-based, or interpersonal, will just make the community and the American College of Veterinary Pathologists stronger. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.